Good morning. It's lovely to see you all again. I've um, apparently last week I, I've got an apology to make because I said that I I came to church with a bike rather than my wife. Uh, but uh, th this morning I'm glad to say I've come to church with my wife rather than my bike, which is at home. Um, I've got a microphone here. I don't need this. Look at that. Yes. Look at that. Remember when we just used to preach and not worry about anything? Um, <laughs> this, this is um, quite a complicated story, so I, I, um, I've done a PowerPoint for you to, um, to take you into it a bit more, because uh, you have to understand the beginning uh, of, this, of the journey as well as the, um, as well as the story itself. Um, but we're looking this morning at, at what is gratitude. My mind always goes back to um, a, a student that we had, a German student that we had, a young girl, and um, I said to her one day, what's the difference between Germany and England? You know, big question. And she said, well, there's one thing that puzzles me about the English. And I said, well, what's that? She said, what, why do you say thank you to the bus driver? <laughs> I, I said, because he's driven the bus all the way from town or something. And, you know, he's, and she said, but he's paid to do his job. He's a bus driver. In Germany, we would never think of saying thank you to the bus driver. Why are you British obsessed with saying thank you? And it's true. When I get off at the corner here, everybody gets out saying thank you, thank you. And poor bus driver's going, oh, no. But, but it's, a, it's a strange quirk, perhaps, that um, we always say thank you to the bus driver. And and thank you is a part and parcel, really, of being English. We say thank you all the time. I'm told that the French see it as a sign of weakness um, in the British psyche that we're always saying thank you uh, for things. But but it's thank you is is gratitude and um, and the feeling of thankfulness that comes um, from gratitude. Um, the the word the word is actually uh, comes from, come from the Latin root gratus. Gratus, and it means pleasing, thankful. It's in congratulations, for instance, where we um, give somebody congratulations for something they've done um, very well. And the Spanish uh, say it, and the Italians say it for thank you, gracias or gracia. And it's the same, same word, gratitude. And it's really recognizing that goodness has come into our lives somehow, even if it is a bus driver. But he, he was good to us, you know, he, he didn't break down. He took us all the way from town, uh, all the way back here. And we say thank you, and we did it this morning beautifully in the prayers, where we said thank you to God for the things we take for granted, um, like creation and like the cosmos and, and other things. Something has made us thankful. There's, there's always something. It could, can be an animal. Thank you for my cat. Thank you for my dog. Thank you. We, um, we're grateful. So this story that uh, we're looking at this morning is a story of Israel's gratitude. So we're going to um, look at our first slide. And you need to go back to understand the story that we've had. You need to go back a bit to um, previous chapters. And uh, this is where Israel was defeated. The Philistines fought. The Israelites were defeated. Every man fled to his tent. The slaughter was very great. Israel lost 30,000 foot soldiers. The Ark of God was captured. Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, died. 
And after the Philistines had captured the Ark of God, they took it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. And it's one of the most shameful parts, really, of the Israel's history, because they, instead of taking God into battle, they took the Ark of God. And it was almost like an idol. They, they saw the power of the Ark of God, and they took it into battle with them, and it was captured. And that um, frieze you've got there is a frieze that appears on the oldest synagogue in the world. It's in Syria. It's on the borders of Syria and Saudi. And um, it, unfortunately, the synagogue was blown up by ISIS. Um, but these friezes were saved, and uh, they, they're now in the um, museum in, um, in Jerusalem. But this is a frieze that dates back to the time of Jesus. And you can see the Ark of God being taken um, and uh, the Israelites being slaughtered there on the right. So this is a story that has been around uh, for over 2,000 years. And, and uh, you know, there's, there's extra biblical texts like this that actually um, say the, these are some of the things that happened and were part of the thinking of Israel. But they lost the Ark, and it was a very shameful time. And then the, um, the story, I think this is the, I can never find it. Where do you get the red dot? That's it. That's it. Is it? No. 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 Don't touch that one. You must be Hoffney or Phineas. Aren't you? <laughs> that one. All right, okay. Oh, I've got a little red dot. Great. This is just to show you because the chapters just before. Um, Israel repented are all about where the ark went and there were there were battles around here um, in Israel and then the the Philistines who lived in this area here um, which used to be Israel but uh, uh, it was Phil Philistine territory um, they took the ark and they took it to Ashdod um, but one of, one of the things that happened um, when they had the ark there was that Dagon their god fell over in the temple they put the ark in and um, Dagon fell over almost at the feet of the ark. His head broke off and his hands broke off. And he was the fish god, the half-fish god. He was the same god that uh, Jonah, uh, of course, was delivered from the fish. And uh, his job was to bring the people who worshipped Dagon to repentance. And it was a fish god. That's why the fish was there. So Dagon fell over. So um, the people of Ashdod said, we don't, we don't really want this, this ark. It's a bit too powerful for us. So they sent it over to this place called Gath. And, um, and Gath had the ark uh, for a few months, and they all came out in tumors, cancerous tumors. And so they said, well, we don't want this. So they sent it to uh, Beth, uh, to Ekron, and the same thing happened there. This all happened in about seven months after they lost the ark. So in the end, they said, for goodness sake, give the ark back to the Israelites. It's too dangerous for us. So they sent it to um, Beth Shemesh, which is uh, an Israeli town. And uh, the story goes on to say that the men of Beth Shemesh opened the ark to have a look inside, see what was in it. And 70 people died um, uh, as a result of that. It was a very powerful thing that was happening. And so eventually, um, it was sent back to Kiriath Yerim. And that's just to give you the background. And um, the story that we have, oh, there's the lovely picture of the, the idol. Uh, I told you it was a disaster giving me this. Uh, 
Uh, the, story, the story that we have is that after about 20 years later, um, they were brought to repentance. They gathered to Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the sons of Israel at Mizpah. Now, this is a fantastic text because this is the only time in the Old Testament where the Israelis gave an offering of water. The one thing you don't give away when you live in the wilderness of Judea, which is where they were, is water. And most of the wars in Israel are about water, actually, in the Middle East. And they poured water on the ground, their precious possession. And, of course, this was a picture and a prophetic act um, that Jesus uh, himself was to take on. And Jesus poured water on the ground. And he said, uh, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But we see, first of all, that the Israelites had to come to repentance. And a pouring of the water was the pouring of their precious possession. It was almost a pouring of their hearts onto the dust of the ground to say sorry to God that they'd lost the ark of God, that they'd been punished so badly and um, oppressed by the Philistines and unable to do very much about it. But then, 20 years later, the Philistines decide that they're going to uh, invade again because uh, they were gathered um, by Samuel to, um, to, uh, to, to Mizpah. And the Philistines obviously saw this as a threat, so they invaded. But that day, the Lord thundered with a loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such panic that they were routed before the Israelites. The men of Israel rushed out of Mizpah, pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to a point below Beth Par. And then Samuel took a stone and set it up, saying, uh, set it up between Mizpah and Shen. He named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far, the Lord has helped us. And this really is the crux of the, of the reading that we had. And what I really want to speak to you uh, to about, uh, about gratitude and, and what it really means. I, I had a, a Jewish guide once when I was out um, in Israel. And uh, he said to me, he said, you Christians, he said, your problem is you don't speak Hebrew. He said, you miss out. You miss out so much on what the Bible is really teaching because you don't know um, the, the Hebrew that lays behind it. And uh, so I've highlighted Mizpah and Shen, two towns. You think, well, where the heck are they? You know, <laughs> who cares? Well, the Hebrew writers would always put these kind of layers of understanding in that probably only the Hebrew people would understand. But Mizpah meant the watchtower. And it's still there in Israel, if you go. The archaeological ruins are still there. And it meant the watchtower, the place where God watches it was where Judas Maccabeus, when he um, had his rebellion, started. And he was watching over the land of Israel. And he went to Mizpah and, uh, and was going to invade. So Mizpah was the watchtower. And Shen, this other small town, means a rock or a, a sharp rock. It was obviously a pinnacle of rock. And there, between Mizpah and Shen, between the watchtower and the rock, um, Samuel erects a stone, Ebenezer, which means God has helped us. We're grateful. And you can see 
you can see the Trinity here at work in the Old Testament. God the Father looking over us from Mizpah, making sure that his plan is, is being pursued. We, we see Shen, which is, which is the rock who accompanies us in the wilderness of, of life and in the joys of life, Jesus Christ himself and the Holy Spirit who leads us to be grateful and thankful. And we raise a stone called Ebenezer. Very interesting, if you go around the back of uh, Whitcomb Baptist, as I do occasionally, because uh, I walk to the swimming bath uh, down, down from where I live, when you go down the, um, by the canal, it doesn't say Whitcomb Baptist. It, there's a sign up says Ebenezer Chapel. And, and in Wales, particularly, there are so many Ebenezer chapels. And I've always been fascinated by why they're called Ebenezer chapels. Well, this is why. Because it is the symbol of the way that God has helped it. It is our gratitude being poured out uh, and the way that uh, God has helped us. So we have the watchtower. We have the rock. And we stand in the middle and we raise our Ebenezer stone and say, thank you, Lord. And, and in your life and my life, there are so many Ebenezer stones. God guides you all the time. You're here, you're thankful that you're here. But, but there are certain times where God comes to you and you, you think, wow, that was so unmistakable. <laughs> I, even I can't find an excuse for not believing that. I remember God said to me once in one conference, for goodness sake, Alan, start believing, will you? Uh, you know, it's so easy to wipe these things away as coincidence or luck or whatever other label we put on it. And it is actually um, the hand of God. And so here we have the Ebenezer. Samuel took a stone and he set it up between Mizpah and Shen. He named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far, the Lord has helped us. And I, we've all got a million examples of, of the way God has helped us. Let me just tell you one. It, it was three years ago, just before the pandemic um, hit, I went on my la last visit to Uganda to visit a school that we set up in the 1990s. And it was taken over by a wonderful lady in our church called Jan Keen, who lives in South Stoke. And, uh, and that school has been going for 30 years. And... When I, when I reached the school, I, I went in and they treat me like family, you know. It's, Hello, Alan, um, there's your bedroom, you know, there's a chair, so I will we'll give you a meal, sit there. You know, it, it's, uh, it's like coming home for me. And, uh, and I went there and, uh, and it was their open day. And they had this chap in to open, uh, for, for the open day to do a speech. And I said, who, who is this man? And um, Victoria, the headmistress, she said, he is the, um, he's one of our pupils. Um, he's now um, an engineer. Um, he went to university and he got a degree from our little school. And I mean, this is a school in the backwards. Uh, it had no electricity, no water, nothing. And it just helped the poor. And this lad had grown up through the school. And, uh, and I sat down and um, talked to him afterwards and said, um, so what, what made you come back to the school and, and do this? He said, I learned everything I know and also everything about God that I know in this school. He said, and now I've set up an organization of ex-pupils of the school. And he, and he opened this scrapbook. And, and he said, and what we do is we go around schools in Uganda um, rebuilding walls, rebuilding um, 
classrooms, putting solar panels on, digging wells. And there's all these photographs of all these schools. He's helped all over Uganda. And you know, for me, I was always thankful for the people there, but it was an Ebenezer moment. And God came to me and I nearly burst into tears. And, and God said, you thought 30 years ago you were helping poor people out, and you were, and building a school and bringing education. He said, you weren't. You were building a nation. You were building a nation. And now there's this whole team of Ugandan young people who've been educated in that school, set up by a little church in Bath, uh, and they're rebuilding their nation. And it was an Ebenezer moment. There too, the Lord so far has helped us. And you suddenly see the work of God. And, and you have things like this, where you look back and you say, that's an Ebenezer moment. I just want to, when, when Sandra and I were first converted, we drove off to a pub in Kent because we didn't know what to do because we'd just become Christians for two days. And we went to the pub like we do and had a pint of cider and got back on the motorbike to drive home. <laughs> oh. and, but we, we went in a little church there opposite the pub. And I said, well, we ought to pray. I don't quite know what it is, but we ought to pray. And uh, he said, yeah. So, so we kind of prayed. And as we prayed, the bell tolled <laughs> on the church. And it was an Ebenezer moment. It was God saying to us, I accept your, your little prayer, your stumbling over being a Christian, your two days of coming out of, of, of being a pagan. I will toll the bell. It was an Ebenezer moment. So it is the stone of help. And it's the stone of help that every one of you has in your life where it's been an Ebenezer moment. And you've thought, wow, I am poised now between the watchtower, between the God, the Father who watches over me and, and wants his purposes fulfilled. I am poised between him and I am poised between the rock Jesus Christ, who gave me redemption, who opened the way to the Father for me. And the Ebenezer stone is the work of the Holy Spirit taking me on into further, further things. And you have to say, I, I always think myself, well, I've, I've got this in me. You know, I, I can be having gratitude and, you know, I, I can... I can have thanklessness in my life. I can have all those things, a lack of appreciation. But when gratitude comes, you feel fantastic. Why do you feel fantastic? Because it is the nature of God in you shining out. There's that beautiful story that Jesus told about the prodigal son. You all know it. And, and, and the son goes away and he comes back and, and, and the prodigal son um, is broken by his experience. But God, what does God the Father do? He runs out and embraces. It's my son. I thought you were lost. Now I found you. You're back. And you see the gratitude of God. It blows my mind. How can God be grateful for us? He is. And that is the nature of gratitude. It comes from God, the Father himself, who is grateful for his creation, grateful for his humanity, who do so many wrong things. But when they repent, as the prodigal son did, it's like water on the thirsty land. 
And when that water goes on the thirsty land, you can grow things on it again. And that's what repentance is about. That's what our faith is about. So, gratitude. That's uh, what it is. That's where it comes from. And I'll leave you with just one more story, which was a Sunday school teacher who said to his class, um, I'd like you to tell me what you're grateful for. And um, they all puzzled a bit because only youngsters. And one little boy stood up and he had horn rim spectacles on. He said, I'm, I'm thankful that I've got glasses. And she said, well, why are you, why are you thankful that you've got glasses? He said, well, for a start, when I'm at school, it stops the boys from hitting me. He said, but even more important, it stops the girls from kissing me. <laughs> Father, thank you. Thank you for gratitude. It's uh, part of your nature implanted in our, in our soul. And we thank you for all those Ebenezer moments that we can thank you for. And we pray that you will take us on between the watchtower and the rock onwards into our Ebenezer moments. Amen.
Yeah. 